The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, September 4th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. We are in the last week of our series on gospel hospitality. Been looking for three weeks now what hospitality truly is, what it means for our lives. We have looked at the definition of hospitality, which uh, literally means showing brotherly love to strangers. In the first week, we focused on the hospitality that we have received. We looked at Ephesians 2 in the Bible that clearly shows us the hospitality that Christ has shown us, his people. Jesus moved toward us, he came close to us, he saved us when we, were, when we were the strangers, when we were alienated, when we were separated from him, when we were hungry and needy and Jesus came and he gave everything so that we could be with him. We received the hospitality of Jesus and then last week we looked at the hospitality of the Christian. The hospitality that Jesus has shown us should, should always graciously lead us to show hospitality to others. It should lead us to, to welcome our brothers and sisters in the church. It should lead us to, to show hospitality to those who are not Christians. It should lead us to care for the needy and the hungry. We should open our lives and our homes to welcome others in. And then here, uh, this last week, we're going to be looking at the hospitality of the church. And I think it's good and right for us to make it personal today. So we will be looking at the hospitality of Redemption Hill Church. Every church has room to grow, and we know that we have room to grow personally and as, uh, and as a church. We need to grow in showing hospitality, and that's why we've been talking about it. If you Google search Redemption Hill, uh, we've got some reviews online. Um, one of those reviews mentions our hospitality and simply says the people are friendly, but not too friendly. Uh, a compliment, but not too much of a compliment. We sent out a survey a few, a couple of years ago to ask the church how we're doing in this. How are we doing in showing hospitality? One of those reviews that I particularly appreciated talked about the pastors and said, the pastors aren't necessarily unwelcoming. Pastor Tim, <laughs> let that settle in. They aren't necessarily unwelcoming. Pastor Tim is pretty welcoming. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim, <laughs> and I am one of the pastors here, and at least according to one, I'm pretty welcoming. Um, you have to take the small victories. The pastors and many of us here at the church care deeply about hospitality and making people feel welcome, but we know we've got room to grow. We always will. Since the beginning of this year, we've had uh, a hospitality cohort that has been meeting together. That group has had about 15 men and women in it, faithful members of this church. I uh, won't mention them all by name today, but they are uh, faithful members who care deeply about hospitality, who desire and want to grow and exemplify Christ-like hospitality. 
They care deeply about this in their personal lives, and they care about it as, as a church. And so we've been meeting together, learning and talking about what hospitality is. We have been thinking through ways to do this more often as a church and thinking of ways to help equip all of us to grow in this together. In Romans chapter 12, we are told to seek to show hospitality. And I like the way the message translation puts it. It says, be inventive with hospitality. So we are thinking of ways to get creative with showing hospitality. Ways to serve together, like last week when we did the cleanup day. Uh, In two hours on Sunday morning, about 40 folks came out and we were able to serve people who were literally strangers here in the Woodland Heights neighborhood, and we received wonderful feedback. But at the same time, we ended up being able to have enough people to serve the Patrick Henry School. We were able to serve our own church, all in just two hours. We were thinking of ways to show hospitality, like next Sunday, I would encourage you to come to our Grace Gathering. Um, We will talk about this past year, and we will talk about the year ahead. But after, after our grace gathering, we're going to have dinner together. So you can come and hear about how, how God has worked and is working in this church and then stay and share a meal together with God's people. There's truly something special about sitting and just eating with God's people. If you can bring a side, that's great. Uh, but if you're able to come, that's great as well. Uh, But that group has been thinking of ways to encourage hospitality as a church, and we'll have a number of other opportunities throughout the year. So today we want to answer that question. What does it look like for a church to be known as hospitable? Is it just all the individuals in the church doing this individually, or is there a corporate aspect to hospitality? The answer is yes. Both of those things are true. Hospitality in a church is often relegated to a team or a program or simply a handful of people who seem to enjoy it. We have a team of greeters outside who do a remarkable job, did a great job this morning, but it's, but it's easy to think they are the ones who do hospitality. That's hospitality for the church. And so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. We often refer to our church as our church home, our church family. And those are both right ways to think about the church. And so if the church is a home and a family, then we should corporately learn to welcome others into it. Everyone who calls this place home has a part in showing hospitality to one another and to strangers. And so as we think about what it means for the church to show hospitality, I want you to take a moment and honestly just think about this, answer this in your head. Think about the question, who do you love? When you think of loving someone, who is the person that comes into your mind? Someone that you truly love, family or friend, somebody that's close to you, somebody that's meaningful. Now, just take a moment and think and answer the question, what would you do for that person if they were in need? What would you give up to make sure that they were taken care of? How much time would you give to them? Is there anything that you would withhold from them? There certainly are special relationships in our life, but understanding what hospitality is, hospitality, we've built out the definition to say that that hospitality is showing brotherly love by welcoming strangers and fellow Christians into our homes and our lives for the glory of God. Showing brotherly love. 
showing a love that cares for people like family. So what if Redemption Hill Church loved one another and non-believers like we love those people that we have in mind? What would be different in our lives if we loved fellow Christians and strangers in that same way? We certainly have our limits and we can't do this personally for everyone, but the call to hospitality is a call to love others as Christ has loved us. And so our hope today and over the past few weeks is that we all as the church would grow and exemplify what hospitality is. And today we'll be looking at 3 John in the Bible. It's an often overlooked book and it will be guiding us today as to what it means to show hospitality to the, as, a, as a church. John, the writer of this letter, does perfectly a combination of proclaiming truth and love at the same time. His letters, his account of the gospel, all show forth and focus on truth and love in a, in a most perfect way. The entire letter of 3 John is only 14 verses long. Um, it, is, it is actually the, literally the shortest uh, book in the Bible. So we're going to read it all together. If you grab that Bible in front of you, it is uh, very close to the back. Uh, it is on page 1026. We will start reading in verse 1 of 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that I all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well for, with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they, they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support or show hospitality to people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the, church, to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome or show hospitality to the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. This is the word of God. Third John, as you said, is not a, is not a well-known book. It is a small book. Pastor Raymond preached a message on part of this book a few years ago in a series entitled Small Books, Big Truths. 
It is uh, literally the shortest book in the Bible, and probably for that reason, um, many people just kind of glance over it, reading it once, maybe. It is also the only book in the New Testament that does not say the name of Jesus in it. But it is an important part of God's holy word and clearly helps us see the role and responsibility that the entire church has to show hospitality. There is actually a battle over hospitality going on in this church between three men, John, Gaius, and Diotrephes. John and Gaius exemplified for the church what hospitality looked like, and Diotrephes literally refused to show hospitality and would even punish other people for showing hospitality. This letter gives us practical help as a church in what it means to truly reach out to others, to care for others, to bring them in, to support them. And it reminds us that we are all called to show hospitality for the sake of the name of Jesus. And so this gives us a a good practical list of how to do this well. To show hospitality then first, as a church, we need to greet one another. We will start at the end of this letter and then quickly move back to the beginning. John says at the end in verse 14, the friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. The most frequent one another command, there's a lot of one another commands in the scripture. The most frequent command in scripture uh, for, for those one another's is to love one another. Right after that is greet one another. The second most frequent command to do for one another is greet one another. It is often at the beginning and ends of letters, and so we don't think about it too much. And to be honest, I think sometimes in churches like ours that take the gospel seriously, that know that theology matters, we can sometimes devalue being kind or nice to one another. For many of us, we don't do niceties. The truth is, though, that God commands some things that would probably fit for us in the nice column. And if God commands it, then it's important. When God tells us to do something, he is never just giving us busy work. He never commands us to do things that don't really matter because he just wants to give us something to do. So we should take it seriously. We never want to devalue in any way or disregard what God values. And so John tells Gaius, everyone here greets you and please greet each person there. John has already modeled for Gaius and for us what a grace-driven, gospel-centered, mission-minded greeting looks like. The beginning and end of this letter is all greeting, and it helps us see that greeting one another as Christians is so much more than acknowledging one another. Most of us are much more comfortable just acknowledging that, that, that we are there. We are much more comfortable acknowledging each other rather than greeting each other. It's easier to say, you exist, you also exist. Um, that is not what God has in mind when he is talking about greeting one another. So John shows us how to actually do this in verses one through three. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And then at the end of the letter, John says, I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. In this short passage, 
John communicates what a greeting should communicate. Communicates that he cares deeply about Gaius. That Gaius is loved by many. That John hopes that in every area of his life that Gaius is doing well. And then finally that it brings John great joy to know that Gaius continues in the truth. That that he hopes to see him face to face and that they get to actually talk with one another. He hopes for peace for Gaius. That is, that is more and better than simply acknowledging that somebody else is there. That is how Christians and brothers and sisters for centuries have greeted one another. That is how we are meant to greet one another. That is what we should want to communicate in the simple act of greeting. You are loved. I care about you. I love getting to see you. I hope that you are doing well. That is meaningful. And God uses that kind of greeting to build our affection for one another as the church. We are meant to greet one another, and we are meant to greet one another affectionately. We greet one another like we actually like one another. Many times in the New Testament, we're told to greet one another with a holy kiss. The kiss was a part of the culture at the time, but the intention was to move past a head nod or a quick hello. Move towards greeting one another affectionately and warmly. We, we warmly and lovingly welcome others into our homes and into our lives and into our church. We are to greet one another warmly. When we don't greet one another, we communicate something as well. We communicate, I don't really care if you're here or not. I'm fine whether you are in this place or not. When we greet one another and we do it cheerfully and warmly, then we are telling the other person, it brings me joy to see you. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're together. Greetings should express our love and affection. They should express what, what Jesus has expressed to us. He hasn't acknowledged us. He has welcomed us in. He has greeted us. When we do this, this will increase and strengthen our love for one another. And it will hopefully serve as a reminder of all that God has done for us in bringing us together. We should never treat God's people like it doesn't matter if they are here or not. We should never treat guests who come into this place like it doesn't matter if they are here or not. So to show hospitality as a church, we need to greet one another. And then... To show hospitality, I'm going to really freak you out here. We should work hard to learn and remember names. To show hospitality, we should work hard to learn and remember names. Again, in that last verse, verse 14, John tells Gaius, greet the friends. How should you greet the friends? Each by name. Uh, you aren't going to know everyone's name, and that's okay. I don't want you feeling guilty because you're not good with names. But it's so easy to just say, I'm just not that good with names. And then once you say that, you feel free to never remember anyone's name ever again. There is a lot of the Christian life that I'm not very good at. Uh, there are many things that God has made clear that we need to do, and I know that I'm not very good at. I went camping with some members of Redemption Hill this past Friday and Saturday, and if there's one thing that you come away with uh, today, it's that I do not like camping. Um, 
But I really liked the people who were there, and my son was really excited about it as well. So I said yes. I don't have any camping gear. I don't have anything to camp with. I don't even really know what you need. I don't know how to do it. And, and, and it seemed like, from what I could tell, everyone else going was pretty good at camping. Um, not necessarily experts, but maybe. And, and to be honest, I hate not looking like I know what I'm doing. Um, I hate looking foolish doing anything. So, so I got a tent. Um, I Googled the words, literally, easiest tent to put together. Um, I found one that, that had the reviews. Literally, these are words that somebody said, so easy to set up. Another said, it took me five minutes to get this set up. It was great. Another one said, great tent, super quick to set up. So I got this tent, and I, I am determined not to look foolish. I know just because somebody said that on the internet doesn't mean it's going to happen for me. So I practiced in our backyard. <laughs> there were literally only six instructions to set up the tent. The first was lay out the tent, and the last one was enjoy your new tent. So there were... <laughs> only really four instructions to follow. And that stupid tent <laughs> took me an hour and a half to put up. And at the end, I had a bunch of parts that clearly went somewhere, but didn't get in. So I practiced again and again. Why? So that I wouldn't look completely foolish when I had to put it up in front of other people. Didn't completely work. There was, no inter there was no eternal significance. I wasn't trying to love others well. I was just trying to make sure I didn't look too bad. And that's how much work I put into it. Not being good at something doesn't mean it shouldn't matter to us. As with any part of the Christian life, if we're not good at it, then by God's grace and strength, we strive to be better at it. We seek to grow in it. Knowing and, the, and remembering the names of his people is no different. In Paul's letter to the Romans in the last chapter, chapter 16. Um, it is a beautiful passage that, again, often gets overlooked. Romans chapter 16. I'm just going to reference it. Thirteen times in this passage, thirteen times in this one chapter, he uses the word greet. Greet this person. Greet this person. And there are 33 individual names in that passage. 33 people that he specifically says, greet this person. And he doesn't just say, greet them. He doesn't just say, tell them I said hi and then move on. For many of them, he talks about their faithfulness. He talks about what they meant to him personally. He talks about how hard they worked for the Lord. He wants to make sure that each person knows that he is greeting them personally. Most of them are not important historical figures. We don't know much about them other than what Paul says in these verses. We only have what Paul says in greeting them. And it wasn't enough for Paul to simply say, tell everybody that I love them. He was able to say, greet this person. This is what they mean to me. This is how, they, this is how God has used them in my life. We won't read it all, but if you want to be encouraged today or tomorrow and start thinking about other people, go and read Romans 16. When we greet someone, especially by name, it tells them that they are known and seen by us. 
And even more importantly, it is a reminder that God knows them by name, that God knows them and cares for them personally. And this is important. We don't want to communicate something different about God. Jesus does this for us. If, if we were communicating what, what Christ does for us, for most of us, we would communicate that I don't know if God remembers you, but that's not true. God remembers our name. We don't ever have to worry about that. John 10, verse 3, Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows everything about us. He has created us fearfully and wonderfully, and he knows us by name. Jesus knows you. He knows your name. So, if God knows us that well, then we can at least try our absolute best to learn and remember the names of our fellow Christians in our church. And then for Redemption Hill to be marked by hospitality, we need to see one another as God sees us. I just want you to see the language John uses to describe his fellow Christians. We need to see one another in that same way. The word John uses to describe God's people, he calls them beloved. He calls them brothers and sisters. He calls them my children. He calls them fellow workers, and he calls them friends. John refers to Gaius four times as beloved. It is such a powerful word. It's, it's not a word that's really a part of our language anymore. We might have heard it used in literature and the Bible, but we would never use it ourselves. But John uses it towards Gaius. This is the same word that God the Father uses to describe Jesus while Jesus was on earth. In Mark chapter 9, we are told that Jesus took Peter, James, and the author of this letter, John, up on a mountain. And they heard the actual voice of God the Father in a cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John was there for that moment when God spoke that out loud about Jesus. John had heard the creator of all things use this word beloved to describe Jesus and now John is using it to describe his love for Gaius. The root word there is agape, which is the unique Greek word really used to describe God's love. So John is saying, Gaius, I love you with the love of God. I love you in the same way that I heard God talk about Jesus. Throughout the letter, John will refer to God's people as brothers and sisters, children, fellow workers, and friends. That is the way you talk about people when you see them the way God sees them. We've been studying 1 Thessalonians for a while, and, and Paul, who wrote that letter, talks in this same way about the church. He talks about the people like they're his children, like they are loved, like it brings him joy to know that they are doing well. It is filled with such intimate, loving language. Do we feel that same kind of affection for the people that we are surrounded by? C.S. Lewis has an extraordinary speech entitled, The Weight of Glory. In that speech, Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. No, the people that we meet are Im immortal. They are eternal. The people that we joke with, work with, the people we marry, the children in our midst, the people we love, and the people we despise. 
Every true Christian you know will one day be a creature so lovely that if you saw it now, you'd be tempted to worship it. God changes us. He will glorify us one day. He transforms sinners into saints. He transforms sinners into the image of his son. The people that we are surrounded by are remarkable testimonies of the grace of God. Now, if I asked you to look around the room right now, you'd probably think, I'm not so sure. But it's true. It is not because we are so incredible. It's not because we're so perfect. It's because Jesus is just that incredible. And when Jesus takes over our life and saves them, then we become like him. We get transformed into his image. So to be able to truly show hospitality, then we need to see others like God sees them. And then finally, if Redemption Hill is going to be marked by hospitality, then we must see people as opportunities and not as threats. If we're going to be marked by hospitality, then we must see people as opportunities and not as threats. John says to Gaius in verses 5 through 8, back in 3 John. This is 5 through 8 of 3 John. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to show hospitality to people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. For people in the first century, when John wrote this, traveling was dangerous, especially if you didn't have anyone in a certain town to stay with. There were inns that people could stay in, but they were filled primarily with, with crooks looking to take as much from travelers as possible. And so it made travel quite dangerous. Uh, in one of the great movie lines of all time, Obi-Wan Kenobi once said to Luke Skywalker, as they are about to enter the town of Mos Eisley, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. That is pretty much an accurate picture of what innkeepers were like in the first century. You had to be cautious. Hospitality wasn't a nice activity to do if you felt like it. It was an absolute necessity for Christians at that time. It was abs absolute necessity for those traveling around doing the work of the ministry. These people that Gaius shows hospitality to are missionaries that are going out for the sake of the name of Jesus. We should be thankful and show hospitality for the missionaries in our church. Those that we've sent and those that have returned, they leave their homes to go and show hospitality and welcome others in. They leave their homes to go and, and, and to, to bring strangers into their home. They go across the world for the great name of Jesus. And so we should support them and care for them and show hospitality to them. We mentioned earlier that this book is, is the only book in the New Testament not to say the name of, the, of, of Jesus, but it certainly does proclaim Jesus. In the early church, it was a common expression to say that you did something for Jesus by saying it was done for the name. Acts 5.41 is an example of this. The apostles have been arrested, they've been beaten, and they've been told not to preach the gospel anymore. And how did they receive their treatment? We're told in Acts 5, they left the presence of the council rejoicing 
that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They went out to spread the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. They have left for the name, the name which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. These missionaries were strangers to Gaius, but he saw an opportunity. He saw a chance to humbly serve. These missionaries are willingly and sacrificially giving themselves to love those who are not believers and to proclaim the gospel to them. John says they're accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They're so committed to the gospel that they don't want anyone thinking that they're trying to profit off of their work. Philosophers and religious leaders profited during this time, taking advantage of people, and they didn't want to be associated with them. They didn't want anybody thinking, you're coming here to take money from us, to take advantage of, of, of us. This echoes Paul's heart the Apostle Paul, as he says in his letter to the Corinthians, I am ready to come to you a third time. I will not be a burden because I am not seeking your possessions but you. And for the sake of your souls, I will most gladly spend my money and myself. This is the work that, that these strangers were doing. This is the work that missionaries do today. They are leaving their homes, going out in the name of Jesus. And so we have an incredible opportunity to encourage them, to support them, to come alongside of them. We have a, the opportunity, as John puts it here, to be fellow workers for the truth. When we see people on Sunday mornings, when we see the needy and hurting, when we see fellow Christians... Do we see opportunities to humbly serve and to love our brothers and sisters? Do we see an opportunity to share the gospel, to humbly love someone uh, that is a stranger to us? Do we get an, excited about the opportunity to show hospitality to them? When we see someone new on Sunday morning, do we see someone that immediately we think we don't have space for you? We don't have space for you in our lives, or do we see someone who needs to know that they are welcome here? Do we greet them? Do we put our heads down and try not to make eye contact? When we hear of missionaries in our church, do we see opportunities to show hospitality to them? Do we see the opportunity to, to, to send them out well as a church? Guys had strangers show up. They weren't known to him, and he saw an opportunity to love them as brothers and sisters, and we should do the same. Diotrephes, on the other hand, saw those same strangers and saw them as a threat. Can you imagine being in the church started by one of the apostles? You have to think that's going to be a good church. Not just one of the apostles, but John. We hear about problems in our churches. We hear about difficult people. We hear about problems in churches around us. It is easy for many of us to think there's got to be some church that doesn't deal with this. There's got to be some perfect church out there. I'm very much a realist, and I, I know there's not a perfect church. I love our church so much and, and the people in it, but I realize we're not perfect. But when I think of the church that would have been started and led by the Apostle John, the one who describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, the one who literally wrote the book of love. First John is just a constant refrain of God's love for us and our love for one another. I know no church is probably perfect, but John's church had to be close. 
And then reality sets in and we realize that even in this church there are real issues and Diotrephes exemplifies those very real issues. In verse 9 of 3 John, John says, I have written to the church, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense about us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want, to, who want to and put them out of the church. Anybody that wants to show hospitality, he is kicking out of the church. Diotrephes is a leader. We don't know what his position is, but he clearly has authority. And John tells us that Diotrephes loves to be first. He wants to be seen as the most important person in the church. And so he will not welcome other believers in. He wants all of the attention on him. I believe this is how we move from, from Diotrephes loving to be first to him kicking people out who want to show hospitality. It is because he is so filled with pride and self-centeredness that he has no desire even to see gospel work done unless he is getting credit for it. He will rejoice in no fruit unless it is his fruit. He will tolerate no competition for being the most important person in the church. And so he is literally tearing down other Christians. He is tearing down the Apostle John. He is speaking maliciously about them and he is refusing for the church to welcome others in. Diotrephes' actions and attitudes are, as John bluntly says, simply evil. He's not listed as a false teacher or opposed to the truth. He's filled with self-centeredness and pride and refuses to show hospitality and it's described as evil. Self-centeredness has taken hold when we can't celebrate what God is doing in the lives of others. Pride has taken hold when we can't rejoice in the work of the gospel wherever it is. It takes humility and sacrifice to show hospitality. So self-centeredness and pride are probably the biggest killers of hospitality. The desire we have to be first, the desire for attention and recognition can lead us to become so jealous and resentful even of fellow Christians. And this should never be. As much as is possible, we should seek to show hospitality to fellow workers for the gospel, especially for missionaries that have left their home to go and love others. One pastor put it this way, our love for Jesus and for his glory may never shine brighter than when we rejoice in the progress of the gospel, even when there isn't the slightest chance of us getting any other credit. As a church, we shouldn't feel threatened by other churches. We shouldn't feel threatened at the work that God is doing in other places. We love our church rightfully. We think it's good. We, we love being here. But we should never put ourselves or our church above other churches. We should never believe that we are the one church that really gets it. That everyone else just falls short of us. We don't need to make ourselves first. We don't need to love to be first, even though we love our church. No, we should celebrate what God is doing in churches and through his people all over Richmond, throughout this country and throughout the world. That is the mark of a Christian. That is the mark of a humble person who wants to say yes, can welcome people in. We asked in the beginning, who do you truly love? 
For John and for Gaius, they loved their brothers and sisters in Christ. They loved the church. They loved fellow workers for the gospel. And they loved strangers, those who were outside. For Diotrephes, he loved himself. For us as a church, we have to follow the model of, of John and, and of Gaius. We have to deny ourselves any inkling of looking like Diotrephes. Gaius humbly showed hospitality towards missionaries and evangelists. Diotrephes was filled with so much pride that he refused anyone else to even welcome them into the church. If Redemption Hill is going to be marked by hospitality, then we need to warmly greet each other. We need to do what we can to remember names. We need to see others as God sees us. And we need to see people as opportunities to share with them, to greet them, to love them, to serve them, and not as threats to our pride or position. I hope this takes hold of us as a church more and more every week. I hope that this spirit and, and culture of hospita hospitality takes hold of us as a people. As we get ready to close, I want to give you one last glimpse of the church and hospitality. Uh, it is found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. Oftentimes when we picture kind of our entering into, into heaven, entering into eternity. We have the image that, that Jesus has given us where we will uh, hopefully be told as we are found in the righteousness of Christ, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant. We have this image of us individually being told that and being welcomed in. But Jesus gives another picture of what that moment is going to look like. And it isn't us individually, it is the entire church being welcomed into eternity. This is Matthew chapter 25. We get a glimpse into this beautiful moment where Christ will bring his church together and welcome us, show hospitality to, to us, and welcome us into the kingdom that he has prepared forever and ever. We are told that Christ will be there in his glory and he will be sitting on his throne as the king and he will extend hospitality to his people by saying, Come, all you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To all of my people, to all those who are part of my church, come, now is the time. Inherit the home, the kingdom prepared for you. And then he describes what the church did, how the church responded to his grace, how true Christians responded. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And he says at the end, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. He is not saying that those things save us. He says in the beginning, our inheritance, this kingdom was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The hospitality though of Jesus, the fact that we know and see, believe that we have this inheritance, that hospitality should always lead us 
to graciously show hospitality to others. And the hospitality that he's shown to his people as a church should lead us as a church to show hospitality to others. All that, this, all that Jesus has described in those verses, he has perfectly done for you and I. He has perfectly done for his people. And that's why we respond in that way. We were hungry and Christ prepared a feast for us. We were thirsty and Jesus gave us living water, water so good that we would never thirst again. We were strangers, and Jesus invited us into God's kingdom, a kingdom that he had prepared, a home for his people. We were naked, and now we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We were in prison, and Christ came and set us, the captive, free. We must always individually and corporately remind each other of these things, and let that push us forward, remind us of who we were Remember what God has done for us. Remember who we are now. And let that push us forward to become fellow workers for the sake of the name of Jesus. To show hospitality to those who are hurting, hungry and thirsty and don't have a home. To welcome in our brothers and sisters. If you have never trusted in Jesus, as we close, what, what is it that you are holding on to that is better than living water that you'll never thirst again if you drink? What is giving you more lasting hope than the God of the universe telling you you have a, an inheritance, you have a kingdom waiting for you? Many of us here, myself and others, would love to talk to you about what it means to trust and believe in Jesus. And over the next few minutes, as, as you see others come forward, I encourage you just to stay in your seat. And during that time, consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Think about your life. Trust in him. And for all of us who have trusted and believed in Jesus, in a moment, you will be invited to come and be reminded of the feast that God has prepared for his people. Beloved brothers and sisters of this church will remind you that the body of Christ was offered for you and the blood of Christ was shed for you. And that's why we have life today and that's why we have life for eternity. And for those that have trusted in Christ, take that bread and dip it into the juice and remember all that he's done for you. Turning away from our sin and trusting in Christ. Uh, I'm going to close our series on hospitality with a welcome. This is taken from a church in Tennessee that begins all its services with this welcome, and I think it's an appropriate way to end our time talking about hospitality. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all those who feel alone or worthless and wonder if anyone cares. To all who sin and need a savior. This church opens wide its doors. In the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners. You are welcome here. Welcome to come and hear that there is hope. Welcome to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You are welcome here because Jesus welcomed us. Take a couple of minutes in reflection and prayer, and then we'll take communion together. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. 
For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.